0: Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. I'm your host, Rick Strawn, the president of Paradigm Security Services. We're excited to be with you today on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio located in this beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. In addition to Paradigm Security Services, this show is also brought to you by Sosby's Garage and the Man of Scholarship Fund that does every other Wednesday opposite me. Every show, we feature businesses and organizations in the Atlanta area and people, especially those that serve Gwinnett County. While all businesses have security concerns, not all are about physical security. And we're going to touch on that and other related aspects of security as we go through the course of our shows. want to introduce today somebody that I know a lot of you are going to know, but a lot of you aren't. So we're going to see what we can do. It's Senator Bruce Thompson. Good morning. Good morning. And he is running for the Georgia Labor Commissioner. Senator Thompson is chairman of the Senate Economic Development and Tourism Committee and a candidate for the Georgia Labor Commissioner, as I said. Serial entrepreneur is the way he describes himself, starting dozens of successful companies. But, you know, kind of tell us who Bruce
0: Thompson is. Sure. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm simple, right? I grew up in Montana, came through difficult upbringing like many of your listeners, right? Life is not as easy as we all think. It's less the facade that we see mom had been married many many times and um, she was an alcoholic and an abuser herself she married a man that was from montana who's my stepdad and we wound up in montana so i was raised in montana on a farm about 40 miles out in the country great great uh, upbringing but very dysfunctional right a lot of abuse and a lot of things again like your listeners would hear and through that you can choose in life whether or not you're going to be a victim or you're going to use it to drive you forward it drove me to sports, so I became an athlete, uh, played football as a running back, and then wrestled, went on to college and wrestled as well. Um, where I grew up in Montana, was not known for very much, but some of your listeners may know of Pearl Jam, the rock group. Yep. Well, Jeff Ament was my quarterback in high school that started Pearl Jam. Wow. So, you know, I knew Jeff very well. There were many times that uh, I would be catching a ball that he'd whiz through the air. Uh, but he was an incredible athlete. Left, went on to college, uh, fourth match in, I destroyed a knee, recovered back then. They didn't have arthroscopic surgery where you were back on your feet in a day or two or a week. So I was in a cast for six months. Recovered, was ranked nationally in my very first match, I broke a kneecap, same knee. God, gee. So you're done. Joined the Army National Guard, got sent to Fort Knox, Kentucky, went through the uh, pr- leadership program of being a tank commander, uh, returned back to Montana. There were no jobs. So rode a motorcycle all the way out to California where I had friends, and bedded down, and started working there as an apprentice electrician, and and from there I just moved on and on and on. So, you know, people call me a serial entrepreneur. I was a guy that was just trying to survive back then. I knew more about what I did not want in life versus what I did want. Did want, yeah. That's right. And I knew I did not want the alcohol and the abuse and the beatings and and the the poor life that we grew up in, and I knew there had to be something more. um, was young at 12 my grandmother came to live with us and she led me to the lord uh, still at that bible from 1974 and, awesome um, her words to me were hey this is only a season you get through this season and things will be better it's only a season yep and when you're from montana and it's freezing and it's, it's, a long months, it's a long season long <laughs> season but that's a little bit about me uh, so i can see both sides of the track obviously i've done well in the business world but i remember where i came from and what that was like
1: yeah i tell you that it, it it's It's interesting to have somebody that's actually lived on both sides of that economic divide, you know, and for another time, but one of the best trips I ever had was a motorcycle out to the Grand Canyon from here and around the circle uh, all the way back through Tennessee, Oklahoma, and all that, and then back in here. It was an awesome trip, but I could do a show on that trip. You talk about, you know, doing businesses, you talk about your life back then, that you know how did you get your start as an entrepreneur how did you start down that track
0: you know it's interesting as i look back uh, i was selling milk off the farm that we were dumping out and um so maybe that that would pique my interest i don't know but um that's an interesting
1: start it
0: was my older half brother was dumping the milk out and i asked him i said can i have it he said if you'll purify the the gallon jugs i don't care what you do with it and so I, I struck a deal with our, our bus driver. that you know We were on a bus for an hour and a half to school. I'm like, you want to buy milk? And I said, she said, sure. Of course, I found out what a wildcat strike was back then. because My brother <laughs> said, hold on a second. I want some of this money. And I'm like, no, this is my deal. He goes, well, I'm pouring the milk out before it gets to you. <laughs> so I had to cut him in on the deal. Oh, uh, yeah,
1: it's amazing how that works, isn't it?
0: It is. It is. But uh, that, after that, I again, I went to California and got on got sent to Florida with the company um, that was building ground support equipment. And at 23 years old, 22, 23 years old, uh, I, I found myself not happy with where I was working. And I had, I'm had. i relational. I think that's the foundation of who we are as people. We were created for a relationship, whether you have a faith or not. That's why COVID's done so much damage to me. That's exactly that's right. Another story. <laughs> that's right. And um, there were several shopping centers down there, and I had struck a relationship with somebody. and. I went to him and I said, hey, do you know of any work that I can, I can get? And he said, well, do you know how to do tenant improvements? I said, well, of what course I do. <laughs> I said, well, what is that? He said, well, can you do drywall and plumbing? I said, oh, absolutely. And so I spent a week um, rehabbing a, a place that a tenant had moved out. And he said, you're pretty good at this. And I said, that's just kind of what I know how to do. I like my hands. And he said, well, you want to go to lunch? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we have an association that has a lunch weekly. And um, you can come with me as your guest Little did I know he was going to introduce me to about 30 other people that had shopping centers. And that day, I created a rate sheet, and I was in business. And I had more business than I knew what to do with. Awesome, And I did very well, but I wanted to buy a house. And Great Western Bank said, I see all the money you're making, but you need to get a real job. And I was like, what does that mean? And I said, go get a job with a 1099 or a W-2. And so I tell people that's when I first ran into the government interfering with what I was trying to do. I had the income. But they, they didn't feel like that was substantial. But you didn't have the proof. That's right. <laughs> and so go get a $6.50 an hour job, and that would prove you could buy this house. makes no sense. And um, so I went to work for an a automatic swimming pool cover business, sweeping floors and stocking trucks in the afternoon, 4 to midnight, while I ran my company making the income. And after about six months or eight months into it, they fired their lead tech, and they hired me to move from stocking to then be a lead tech. And another six months into it, they decided they were going to close that office. And it was supposedly because we weren't hitting our goals. But the reality is we were hitting our goals. I could see it on the board. And so um, they came in. They were going to close it. And I kind of freaked out. I'd bought my house. You know, I'd, this is back in the days, you can remember, where I was thrilled. I had a 16% interest rate that was a assumable FHA. Yeah. Right? People talk about a 4% that are mad about. How about 16? Yeah. But it was my house, and I was thrilled.
1: I know what years those were.
0: Yep. And um, what happened from that was I I just nosed around in the office and discovered there was some fraud going on. And so I picked the phone up and called California and said, hey, I I may lose my job, but you need to know about this. And they brought auditors in and next thing you know, I was their general manager. And then they decided they were still gonna close it. I was down in the Keys working on one of the pool covers and one of our customers, his name was Paul Charlap. He was in his 70s, very, very wealthy. And he said, you need to buy this office. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, this guy's got a multi-million dollar home. This is back in the 80s. I'm living check to check, right? And he showed me how to buy it on paper. He said, you leverage what they need. Mm-hmm. And this company that's wanting to close this office is going to stay open in many others. They were ultimately being acquisitioned by a New York mm-hmm. Stock Exchange. And he said, they have to provide warranty to me and all the other wealthy clients. And so I learned through him how to buy an office on paper And charged them back for the warranty work to pay it off and we paid it off in a year awesome two years later I sold that office was moving out from Florida going out west and stopped in Georgia and fell in love with it it was snowing there and it was it was nice here Uh, I was walking across the street to Home Depot messing around and they hired me and um, another month later I realized listen this is a great market for automatic covers so I started (laughs) an automatic cover company with eight states this time took a partner on to help with operations he was a CPA and we grew that and that then propelled into some insurance companies and I had five or six of them and and then now we have some funeral homes and we have some development and we have some software companies and so on. You ask how to be an entrepreneur, I would say it's just simply identifying a need that's there. Maybe it's your own need or what somebody else has. Seeing if you can multiply that, if there's enough people that need that and then can can you monetize it? Can you stay in business and make money at it? A fair wage. If you can do that, you're an entrepreneur.
1: And somewhere along the way, there has to be a passion in it for what you're doing. There
0: does. I love people.
1: Yep. So, yeah, that, yeah, the the art of working with people is something that nowadays the kids aren't aren't doing. Uh, We were talking about it before we came on there. When you have people getting out in jobs, they just don't show. They ghost you. They don't call. Say they're not. That art of dealing with people and understanding that and interpersonal relationships. Is something that's just not being taught today, or at least therein, not being learned.
0: And therein lies the problem with our Department of Labor Eesh, and Workforce Development. You bet. Well, how did you come to run for the State Senate? It's interesting. I had zero interest in politics. I, I knew, um, you know, I got out of the military and I started voting, obviously. that As someone that serves in the military, we're giving our life and serving our country for the right to vote. Uh, anybody that's out there that doesn't vote, uh, I just I struggle with that, right? And so it was voting and— um, I opened a business in Cartersville, and someone said, you need to join the Chamber of Commerce. I'm like, why? They said, because you need to. (laughs) It was an obligation. Relationships. That's right. And so I did, and um, it's kind of like church. You get involved. um, You show up. You do your job, and you do it well. Next thing you know, you're going to be on another committee and another committee and so on, right? And at the Chamber, it was no different. And it wasn't long until I found myself on their executive committee and in line to become the chair. And the year was 2012-2013, and Bartow County um, Chamber was in cha- is in trouble. It's like many ter- chambers. Yep. We were losing membership. We were in the red. We were struggling. We made to make some decisions. In my year, I said, we're turning this thing around. We're going to become relevant. And I think that's important for business. Better better reevaluate whether you're relevant. Well,
1: the Chamber is a business.
0: It is. And um, so we expanded the board that year, and the board wasn't happy. But we expanded it because we needed to add board seats, so we could get we could get some sponsorships. And we started discontinuing various programs we had that weren't profitable and they weren't bringing any value. And that year we grew from just under 400 members, missed my goal of a thousand, but we got in the 850s range. Wow! And we went from being in the red to being in the black with over 100 some thousand in a bank. And my last. Uh, opportunity as chair as you do the annual dinner mm-hmm. and uh, you and your listeners have heard this the annual dinners um our spouses are significant others, they hate these things they're yes, like do they i do. really have to go and I, you really have to go and they're like well how long is it what are they going to serve and who's going to talk
1: two hours two and a half hours
0: and anybody that happens to show that's up. that's right that's <laughs> right well, a financial guy that's going to bore you to death yep. we're going to do something different we're going to do a celebration I had just read a book called "Lead for God's Sake," and, and I, I do not like to read. Bible studies are even tough. I got to read it three times. Maybe it's my simple mind, but I love this book. I loved it. You you will find yourself as a character in the book going, "You have influence, whether you like it or not." And um, so I said, "We got to get this guy to come speak." And then Dwight Board laughed at me. They said, "You're not going to get this guy to come speak." Um, you know, I was a wrestler in college. And I, I wasn't the strongest guy, but I was very persistent. And I'm going to keep coming and coming and coming. In fact, I was known in college as, uh, as a wrestler as I would let you go so I could take you back down. And <laughs> so I said, I'm going to find this. This is a challenge. So I kept calling, calling, and calling, trying to get Todd Gong where the author. And I was getting the wall and the wall and the wall. And one day I got him on the phone. And uh, I said, hey, I want you to come and speak. And he said, okay, so tell me the event. I said, it's an annual Chamber of Commerce dinner. And he said, Sir, "Son, seriously, I yeah, I don't know if you know, but um, usually people like myself and authors don't come to Chamber of Commerce dinners." <laughs> he said, "You need to get a financial guy." I said, "No, you need to come to this one because God has done a work in our community." And I just kept on him, and, he, and finally he caved after about two weeks. And he said, "Listen, yeah, I know your dinner's supposed to be on a Thursday. I'm going to be in Birmingham. How far is that from you?" And I told him, "I said, I oh, it's about two hours." And he said. I can stay over, and we can do it on a Saturday, and I'll do it for a thousand bucks. I said, "Really?" He goes, "I'll do it for thousand. Normally, I charge ten. I'll do it." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because clearly, I'm not going to get rid of you until I do." And I said, "Okay, cool." So I went back. Whatever works. That's right. I went back to my board. Uh, I ordered enough books autographed from him, so I wanted to show skin in the game. And I gave them all the book, and I said, "We've got him coming." And they go, "We can't afford this." I said, "Don't worry about it. It's thousand bucks." So then I thought, all right, we got to get some music. Who better than have Lee Green would come and sing "God Bless You," right? And um, my board's like, yeah, right. <laughs> well, it just so happens that his wife Kim was doing the Miss Georgia. She owned the pageant, and it was hosted in Cartersville. So I got to know her. So I called her and I said, hey, what's the chance of Lee coming to an annual Chamber of Commerce dinner and performing? She goes. Slim or none, but I'll let you talk to him. <laughs> so she put him on the phone and hit the same thing. He said, Bruce, I appreciate it. I do. I, uh, I usually perform to a lot more people, and, and I don't do any chamber dinners. So, you know, I was kind of downtrodden. I just kept talking to him, and I said, well, I thought maybe we'd have a chance, but I've got Todd Gongler from Lead from God's Sake, the author, coming. And there was a pause, right? And he said, you have the author from Lead for God's Sake. I said, I do. He said, I just read that book. I love that book. I figured if you can get him to come, maybe we can work it out. Awesome. And so it took another two weeks. He put me with his union rep, which I didn't realize they were unionized, and they told me their fee, and I was like, we don't have that kind of fee. Long and short of it, Lee, uh, he decided to come. He did it for an honorarium, which was great. Awesome. So it was off, And we opened uh, the, the convention center. It had never been maxed out. It was 850 was capacity. We had 850. It started at 530 on a Saturday, ended at 10 o'clock at, at standing ovation. I don't say that to say as a brag, but to say we need to lead. We need to lead. That then propels to the question you asked. The very next year, Barry Loudermilk was running for Congress, and he asked me if I'd help him raise some money, and I said, sure. And a group came to me and said, hey, Barry's running for Congress. Do you have any interest in running for politics? I said, zero. And they said, why? I said, I'm I'm content, and I said I have never been to the Capitol. Uh, I said I'm not very well versed in the whole political realm. I vote, uh, and I help other people. And um, guy kept back to me about a week later, and he said, Hey, I hear you might be running for, for Senate. I said, No, I'm not running for Senate. And he was a deacon, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I have a question for you. He said, I know where he came from. I know you. You know it was regular. You visited outhouse as a kid. You were poor. He said, and I know what you're doing now. You've done very well. I said, okay. He said, maybe for such a time as this, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. You choose. And that was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so we jumped in. We were ranked dead last out of five candidates. Uh, Marietta Journal, Bartow County, Cherokee all ranked us dead last. And we launched a campaign, and I really didn't know what I was doing other than I was going to go to the people. And we did. And we got very aggressive and we went door to door and I knocked on thousands myself. You know, people like, you need somebody to walk with you? I'm like, no, I don't need you to hold my hand. You can knock on somebody else's door. We won the first round 31, 32%. I was excited. And my consultant said, oh man, we're in trouble. I said, why? He said, well, typically the person that wins first round loses because their people don't turn out. I said, are you out of your mind? I, man, I'm going to turn more people out now, right? I won't lose now. And, um, all the other opponents turned against me, and I couldn't figure out why. I found out later that, you know, you can you can give people five to eight thousand bucks and you can buy their endorsement. I had no idea.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And um, we wound up winning, um, basically sixty nine to thirty one. They outspent us almost four hundred grand to sixty eight, but it was by just going to the people and saying, "Listen, if you want to change, help me change," and that's how we wound up getting in the Senate.
1: Well, you yeah, the important thing is that you had a calling. And you answered it, and it answered back. That's I mean, right. that that's kind of, you knock on the door and somebody actually opens it. And I tell people, if you really want to do something like this, one of the most important things you can do is to knock on those doors, press that flesh, look people in the eyes, and ask them for that vote. That's right. Uh, those that don't have a tendency not to win. And, uh, well, all right, you're sitting there in a safe Senate seat, and you, things are rocking along. Yeah. You're doing great. So what made you decide to run for the Labor Commissioner, and not only that, but against an incumbent Republican?
0: So you're right. There's my Senate seat is safe. I, I, it's a privilege to be serving as the Chairman of Economic Development and Tourism. I get to meet with CEOs of every large and small company and travel the entire state helping businesses grow and so on. And um, I've been able to introduce a lot of legislation that I've enjoyed. I had the heartbeat bill on the Senate side. Um, I had rape termination, where if a girl was raped in our state, the rapist had rights to the child, and I said, that's not right. That's crazy. The, the female should be able to terminate that and not be terrorized, so to speak. And So there were a lot of bills that I was able to author and get done, and it was a lot of fun. But um, all along came, two, three years ago, economic development and, and workforce, and as I dug into this and trying to understand, as the chairman of economic development, how do we increase our workforce? department of labor that was their responsibility and i said okay so let's let's figure out how we can help and i found out that was stripped away by the former governor and um, it was stripped away because of a contentious relationship with the current commissioner and you know i understand there's two sides to every yeah. coin and so as i started exploring what that contention was it was because it wasn't doing his job and there were some other things going along with that so they gave it to the technical colleges of georgia and I went and met with them. And they said, listen, we're doing the best we can, which they were or are. That's not exactly where it should be. It's not their forte. That's not. Right. And so we're like, okay, maybe we can maybe resolve this. And as we kept digging in, I found out, all right, well, there's a way to be able to do something here. And bam, the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden, we didn't have hundreds of thousands of claims. We had millions of claims backed up. And we had people calling me and every Republican and Democratic legislator there was begging for help. Because they couldn't get through to the Department of Labor. So we as legislators start trying to call the Department of Labor on their behalf, and we got stonewalled. And we're like, this doesn't make any sense. The government agency is there to help the people, the people that are funding it, right? Taxpayers, exactly. The government doesn't make money, right? It takes it in taxation and then reappropriates it back out In theory. In theory, <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not here to bash the government, but you I are hear right. you. Um, but I am pretty conservative. And so um, we we asked the commissioner to come meet with us, the legislators. And when they came in and we started asking the question and said, okay, you need help, we realized that the federal government sent everyone home and all of a sudden you had a massive influx of claims, Um, what's happened? And there was a lot of blaming going on, and we said, well, we'll give you help, right? And we were told we don't want your help. That was the first light that came on and said, hold on a second. If someone's drowning and you offer to help them and they refuse it, you can't help them.
1: You want to throw them an inner tube, we'll throw them a life preserver, and they, throw it, they, they toss it back so and say, I don't right. need it. That's, That's right. Yeah.
0: I can't help you, right? So what do they say? You can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink? So that was the first challenge. Well, then all of a sudden it became apparent that the modernization in an agency had never taken place. We're still using legacy software. And I'm like, how can that be in today's world? We had modernized so many other things. I found out the federal government had a $45 million grant a number of years ago and they tried to put a consortium together of North Carolina, South Carolina and Georgia to modernize. So we have already basically paid for it through taxpayers. They were offering it back to the state. We entered into that agreement and then Commissioner Butler pulled back out of it and said we want to develop our own. Well the problem is our system doesn't talk very well to the federal agencies. So North Carolina and South Carolina had a lot less backlog and then the biggest issue is fraud. It was reported almost 40% of all the claims that were paid out are fraudulent. Mm-hmm. So we're now we're not even being good stewards of the resources. So there was that. Well, then all of a sudden we got pulled back into the General Assembly in January, and we're going through the normal audits, right, that we do with agencies. Our AAA bond rating in our state was put at risk. And in, you can see this in the media report on it. It was put at risk because of our Department of Labor not complying with their normal annual audits and it's like an accreditation it, it is it's also how you borrow money in bonds mm-hmm. so you know if you go buy a house and your credit score is 750 your rates gonna be a lot less than someone that's 550 well triple-a bond rating means we can borrow money at a lot less risk a rate and all of a sudden you're gonna force us as a state to pay the penalty of what you've not done so that's another shoe that dropped so at that point um, my colleagues in the Senate and the house are like Bruce You buy companies, you dismantle them, you put them back together, and they flourish. You start companies. This is right in your wheelhouse. And I'm like, guys, I don't want to be a state bureaucrat. I'm happy where I'm at. I don't even know what this thing pays, right? Kind of like when you started, wasn't it? It's kind of like when I started. That's right. And so at that point, it really wasn't a calling, um, but it piqued my interest. And I thought, I kept saying, man, let's just help the current guy, right? The voters have elected him in. They've reelected him. Maybe they don't know any better. I don't know. And so we went back, and I tried to help again. And I, again, I got the hand saying, listen, I don't want your yeah, help. But
1: you got to want help to get help.
0: You do. The last thing I would say that happened was the inter- inspector general of our state, and you know, they go into investigations. They did an investigation, a long-term investigation into that agency. And what they discovered was $1.1 million of taxpayer money was fraudulently and unconstitutionally used to cater lunches to the employees. That's now when That's we a biggie. We don't have judgment issues. We have something far bigger than that. And here's the kicker. Those, many of those employees aren't even at work during this period of time, so where did the money go? So now if we can't trust you, you may, the competency is in question, but if there's a trust issue, I mean we already have that issue with the taxpayers and the voters in the state of Georgia and federally not trusting our government. But when we make it very clear why they shouldn't trust, it's time for a change. Absolutely. So that launched me into, you know, let me go fix this thing. And that's really what happened. And here we are. Well,
1: okay. I us hear why you're running, why you want to run. What makes you qualified to run?
0: Well, you know, I, I remember Bible study, right? I, uh, I was up at First Baptist Woodstock one time years and years ago when Johnny Hunt, I uh, was tagged to teach a Bible study. It was young marrieds. Man, I didn't feel equipped to do this. And Johnny Hunt brought me in, and if you know Johnny Hunt, I mean, you know, he came out of, he was, he was running a bar room, he was an alcoholic, and he was called into ministry. And so he, he's tough. He's a full-blooded Indian. He's got a temper. And he sat down, and he said to me, he said, Bruce, he said, I understand that they've asked you to teach Bible study. I said, yes, sir. He said, so you're going to teach, right? I said, well, sir, I, I'm not sure I'm equipped. <laughs> and he said, perfect. He said, because people that come here thinking they're equipped aren't equipped at all. If God called you to do it, he's gonna make you equipped. He said, so when do you start? It's kind of like that. Do I think I'm equipped? I think I have the skill set to do it. I don't know if I'm equipped or not until we get in there and see what the mess is like, but I can promise you, no one's going to work as hard as I am to restore the integrity and the confidence from the American people and the Georgia people and the taxpayers than me. Um, What do I have as a background? Yes, I've started many companies whether they're funeral homes or software companies or the pool cover business or even land development, several companies I've started or I've bought companies that were in trouble. Again, we've dismantled them carefully, put the pieces back together and let them thrive, and then we either sell them or keep them in a portfolio. So I believe this is a lot like that. Many people have told me, hey, listen, government is no, nothing like the private sector. But honestly, I don't know why it can't be.
1: And I would disagree. In a lot of ways, government is – the problem is don't have enough of the business people in the government to make it flow like a business does. Sure. The, the basic setup of a government is maybe not to make money, but, it's all, but it is to make uh, a positive investment of whatever, whatever money that you have, and you do get a return on it. And that's the satisfaction and the benefits to the, to the people, so in a lot of ways, they're very similar, but when you take a businessman and put him in, into government and it runs it like it should be, that's when it runs smooth.
0: Well, I've said this to other people, business people, I just came off of a, I'll call it a three-win tour. We, we, I drove to Savannah to meet with some people, down to Jekyll, over to uh, Statesboro, up to Swainsboro, down to Warner's Robins, spent the night in Forsyth, and here I am in three days. And I say that because I was meeting with business people. And I was asking the question about the Department of Labor. And the question keeps coming up, why would you want to do this? And the answer is, listen, I remember where I came from. Had it not been for some people weaving into my life, who knows where I would have been. And so daily, I'm grateful for the opportunities I have. And as long as I'm alive, I'm going to give back. I think we can go into this agency, honestly, and the first 180 days make a dramatic impact. First, I already have the relationship with the General Assembly. Regardless of who the governor is, regardless of who the speaker is, regardless of who the lieutenant governor is, regardless of who the House members are or the senators, I'm relational, and I already have those relationships. And they're begging me to try and fix it, right? And so we can go in relational. We already have that. Number two is modernizing that agency is not that difficult. Twenty-some other states have already done it. It's not like we're going to beta test. It's mm-hmm. already proven. What you need is someone to go and negotiate on behalf of the state To find out what the best deal is for our state we turn that loose the third thing then is we have agencies all over our state that you and i are paying for your listeners are paying for either leases or buildings we own that are career centers and department of labor offices you know where it was in bartow county a week ago the mayor and our commissioner called me and said fix this and i was like "Uh oh what have i done now and it was it was a semi-joke But there was a picture of the Cartersville Department of Labor with a broomstick across the handle and a note on the door while they were inside working saying, we're not allowing anyone to enter in. Wow. The arrogancy of our government that they have forgotten that inside you exist to serve the people outside is gone. And we need to restore that. That can be done. And we'll open these agencies or we'll close them permanently and go to a virtual, but they will be there to serve the people that are paying for them to be there. Right now, there are leases that are not being occupied, so to speak, and that's wrong. It's a misuse of, of our taxpayer money. Then let's get started on the second half of the year. That's workforce development. Rick, I believe that we have four verticals, if I may. Yeah. We have veterans that have gone and served, men and women that have served that have MOSs, job skills. When they return back to our state, sure, there are big companies that are, are seeking to get them employed, but what about the middle and small companies? They don't have access to those people and those skills. Absolutely. Right? What about our, our people that have been incarcerated? Right? I'm not saying rapists and murderers, but there are people that have made, a, made a, a poor decision and they've been incarcerated and they come out. We as taxpayers- Where's that
1: second chance? That's
0: right. And we want them to be gainfully employed not, for a couple of reasons. One, is, it's good for the soul to work, right? But they have responsibilities of families and so on. The third is, if they don't and they go back and they make a mistake and go right back into prison, we pay for them as taxpayers. Cuts down on the recidivism. That's right. We want them to be gainfully employed and become part of the donating or donor into the tax base instead of recipient. The next is, you look at Germany. Germany and Austria do apprentice programs, co-ops, and entrepreneurial programs. They take young people at 12, 13, introduce them to the trades, whether it be cybersecurity, electrical, plumbing, contracting, whatever it is. And it teaches them to use their mind and their hands. And a lot of our families in the United States now—we talk about it—broken families—they're left to kind of figure it out on their own because mom and dad aren't together. Used to be when you were young, you got introduced to how to do stuff, but now we're not be, learning. They're not learning. We're blaming it on the family. But if you can introduce them at a young age, little Johnny or Susie can realize: Are you telling me that I can make 60, 80, hundred grand being a truck driver, or welding, or in cybersecurity, or whatever? All of a sudden, you sh- you're able to mentor them and say, you can, but you can't have a felony. Now they see hope at a young age. And what happens is we start bringing them in and introducing them and getting them involved at 14 and 15-year-old. Noonan's doing it right now where they're introducing this age group into the workforce they're being paid. We do that across the state. So now you have the young people. And then guess what George is? It's aging. People from all over the country are moving to Georgia. It's a great state to be in, to live in. Absolutely. Why are we not tapping seniors and all that experience? Instead, and nothing gets Walmart. I have friends, but we relegate our senior citizens to go, go be a greeter at Walmart. Really? What about all those skill sets they have? The problem is we do not have a clearinghouse way to say, how many hours do you want to work? They may only want to work 15 hours and go golf. Mm -hmm. Okay. Take that instead of saying be a greeter or stock and shelves and let's use their skill set bring them into companies and that's very valuable those four verticals should be the georgia department of labor indeed we should be the clearinghouse for our entire state for any business or anyone looking and marrying them up we do that we're going to thrive in our department of labor and no longer will we have a workforce problem well,
1: i totally i totally get it because uh, i'm like i said like we talked about before i'm I am right on the front line with needing people in the workforce. But uh, and I know you final thing here is I know that you mentioned uh, the heartbeat bill and a couple of other things. But what accomplishments are you most proud of as a senator?
0: Oh, goodness. I don't know that there's one, but one that you would realize. Um, so my identity was stolen. It was stolen <laughs> about eight years ago. And I found out real quick. I'm on an island. Right. They said, go file a police report. Law enforcement, they, they can't deal with a civil crime like that. Nope. It's a white collar. They it just can't. And it affected everything I had. In fact, there was a BMW bought in my name in Arizona, and I was going to collections. I'm like, are you kidding me? I live in Georgia. And so as I dug in, I realized how severe and how big a problem cybersecurity was in identity theft. And what I found out was our state at the time did not have cybersecurity insurance, our state agencies. Yet, South Carolina had, had a breach, and it was $38 million to the taxpayers up there. So it was only a matter of time before we had the same thing in the state of Georgia. Absolutely. Of course, we had a few happening. And so I had a study committee with a white paper, and I had, uh, like, General Gerard on it, and, uh, you know, I was a little bit enamored with all the people on this, and Chris Klaus, and so on. And as we dug into this, I realized that each agency in our state was siloed. They were doing their own security. So the problem was we couldn't get an insurance policy for our state because it couldn't mitigate the risk. In other words, they had no way to quantify what the risk would be, Mm -hmm. so they didn't know what the policy should be. And so I had to leverage pretty hard to be able to get this done. And so our state now has $100 million of cyber insurance in case there's a, a breach that's really cost us about a million bucks. But what that dovetailed into and why that study committee existed was we were working on this little project over in Augusta called Army Cyber Command with Fort Gordon. And I got the opportunity to be on the forefront of helping that not only be developed, but grow. And um, got a nice letter on the wall from Vernon Keenan, who was our GBI director at the time. Um, It was my initiative that led to the Georgia Crime Lab over there. So being able to make sure Georgia is not only taking care of the citizens of Georgia when it comes to cyber crimes and so on, but putting us on the forefront in the entire Southeast, if not the world. Um, I got a chance to work on that. And so I was pretty proud of that.
1: Uh, that sounds awesome. Well, i tell you, one of the, you know, by the time I wish I could go on, I could do this for about an hour with you. And well, you're more, very gracious, thank more. you. More. Um, you know, one of the most important things to me is integrity. I talk to my my staff about it. I talk to my employees about it, and it, when they come on it, you know, the one thing about me is, uh, is the integrity of the individuals there, is telling me the truth, being honest, yes, sir. be where you say you're going to be, do what you say you're going to do, and just tell me the truth. And from what I've looked at with everything that I've seen about you is the integrity is there. And to me, that is very important. And I think especially in a, in a, in a politician, uh, there's too many politicians today that the integrity is not there. So I want to thank you very much for coming on, sharing your story, uh, sharing your points and your positions on some of this stuff. And we'll have to get back on here again because I know there's a lot more stuff that you could talk about uh, position-wise and everything else. So uh, thank you very much for coming on, Senator Bruce Thompson.
0: Uh, Thanks. One of the things that I've made sure all along, even in our businesses, I've made sure everyone had my cell phone. And that same cell phone, people are like, is that a burner phone? I'm like, call it. And well, they call it and they answer it.
1: Exactly man. what I was going to ask you is, how do people get in touch with you?
0: And so, yeah, no, I'd love to be able to give that. So my cell phone is 404-660-1165, um, a website that you can go to if you want to see more about us or to be able to join our campaign or or whatever it is. It's is brucethompson 4 F-O-R, Georgians.com, um, or just BruceThompsonGA. And I'd um, love for you to go on our Facebook or call me or text me. Share your stories or share exactly maybe words of encouragement. and Honestly, together we can go fix this. It's broken, but we can fix it.
1: You know, share your problems, too, so he knows what to fix. That's right. Uh, you know, that's the big thing is if you don't, I tell people, if I don't know it's broke, I can't fix it. That's right. And the biggest thing is people telling you, when you've got a problem, speak up, say so. Uh, that way I can look at, see what we can do and how I can fix it.
0: Well, I'm thrilled that we're able to meet in person in our state, whereas I know in other states can't.
1: Absolutely. And I'd love to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you and Merry Christmas to the other people in my office and or in this office right now uh, with Lewis and Hannah. Hannah that's right. I ah, got it. I remember. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I'm going to close that with thank you for joining us on Case in Point presented by Paradigm Security Services, and in part by Sosby's Garage and the Manna Scholarship Fund. Be sure to join us for the live broadcast every other Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. here on Business Radio X. If you missed the live broadcast, no worries. You can enjoy it anytime you want by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Case Point. This program is also available on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, or really anywhere that you enjoy your favorite podcasts. Be sure to subscribe on that button to Case in Point so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And for my guests, Senator Bruce Thompson, my producer, Ms. Amanda, I'm Rick Strawn, and remember, at Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets.